Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning and welcome to Wildbrain's fiscal 2021 first quarter earnings call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during that time, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. I'd now like to turn the call over to Nancy Chan Palmatier, Director, Investor Relations at Wildbrain. You may begin your conference. Thank you, operator, and uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Speaking on the call today are Eric Ellenbogen, our CEO, Aaron Ames, our CFO, and Josh Sherba, our president. Also with us and available during the question and answer session is Danielle Neath, our EVP of Finance and Chief Accounting Officer. First, we have some standard cautionary statements. The matters discussed on this call include forward-looking statements under applicable securities laws with respect to wild brain, including but not limited to statements regarding future deals and investments by the company, the impacts of COVID-19 on the company and its business, the business strategies and operational activities of the company, the markets and industries in which the company operates, and the future financial and operating performance of the company. Such statements are based on information currently available and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties. Actual results or events in the future could differ materially and adversely from those described in the forward-looking statements as a result of various important factors, including the risk factors set out in the company's most recent MD&A and annual information form. Uh, Please note that all currency numbers are in Canadian dollars. For the question and answer session that will follow, we ask that each analyst keep to one question with one follow-up so that everyone has a chance to ask questions. If you would like to ask an additional question, please rejoin the queue. Please note that we are all in separate locations for the call today, so uh, so we do appreciate your patience if we encounter any lumpiness as we steer through the Q&A. I will now hand the call over to our CEO, Eric Ellenbogen. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon to everyone, and thank you for joining us today. Um, It's only been a few weeks uh, since our year-end call, uh, so I'm going to focus today on new developments since the close of the quarter. The most important news since September is our expanded partnership with Apple TV Plus for Peanuts, which was announced on October 19th. This is the largest content deal in our company's history, making Apple TV Plus the new home for all of our Peanuts content. This multi-year worldwide deal expands our pre-existing partnership with Apple TV Plus, and under uh, this new agreement, we will be making significantly more new content for the platform, uh, well beyond what was ordered under our 2018 agreement. Apple TV Plus has also licensed the full library of our classic Peanuts content, and needless to say, this is a tremendous deal for our company. Let me walk you through what this means for Wildbrain. First, Uh, Let's look back at the original Apple deal we did in December 2018. We really couldn't say much at the time about that deal, but I can share more details now. Included in that first agreement were orders for Season 1 of Snoopy in Space, which was delivered to Apple TV Plus last fall and has been one of the most popular series on the platform. Uh, 
so much so that Apple TV Plus has ordered a second season, which is now in production. That original deal also included season one of The Snoopy Show, which Apple unveiled to audiences in a sneak peek last month. We're also in uh, production with that show, too, which is slated to debut worldwide on Apple's platform in February 2021. Uh, and the original deal also included orders for multiple new family specials uh, to mark Mother's Day, Earth Day, New Year's Eve, and back to school. And all of these specials are now also in production at our studio. Let's take a look at the expanded partnership, uh, which was just announced. It includes first more new original Peanut series, introducing a whole new generation to Snoopy, Woodstock, Charlie Brown, and the gang. Second, a number of uh, additional new family specials beyond those already in production. Third, a new 70th anniversary Peanuts documentary, which we're co-producing with Ron Howard's Imagine Documentaries. And finally, other new large projects uh, as well over the term of this expanded agreement. In addition to this extensive slate of new content, Apple TV Plus has also licensed our full library of classic Peanuts content, including the beloved Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas specials. These specials are some of the most popular TV shows ever made. They have consistently enjoyed strong ratings for 50 years, and we're thrilled that Apple is making them available for free uh, viewing to everyone during the holiday season. All of our Peanuts content will be available on Apple TV Plus through apps and websites worldwide on just about any web-enabled device, including Apple iPhones and iPads, uh, as well as devices from other manufacturers, such as smart TVs, computers, tablets, and smartphones. Uh, through Apple TV Plus, audiences around the world, including most who actually never seen Peanuts content on TV, will be able to immerse themselves in our new shows and the classic specials whenever and wherever they like on any device. The anticipated reach of this global deal is well beyond anything previously achieved. This partnership will significantly amplify exposure for the Peanuts brand for many years to come, which we firmly believe will drive significant growth for our global consumer products business. Uh, Peanuts is a top 10 character brand at retail, where it enjoys success across virtually every product category. The franchise is now celebrating its 70th anniversary and has secured dozens of new consumer products licenses driven by this milestone. Many of these agreements were brokered by our wholly owned licensing agency, Wild Brain CPLG, exemplifying the collaboration we're implementing across our company. As we reach new audiences and new generations of kids through Apple TV+, not only do we expect the existing Peanuts licensing business to grow, we also expect it to expand in underdeveloped merchandising categories, particularly in the kids' demographic. The importance of this partnership for Wildbrain cannot be overstated. It reflects a long-term commitment for new Peanuts content from a leading global media platform, it also elevates our creative profile to an entirely new level. It secures our production pipeline for years to come, providing visibility on our future earnings, and it will drive meaningful growth in our consumer products business. And that's just peanuts. 
as we activate more and more brands from our deep IP portfolio, there'll be lots more news to come. Uh, I'd like to now invite uh, Josh Sherba, our president, to provide some color on the shifts we're seeing in content demand and how premium content deals such as this one uh, play out in our earnings. Josh? Thank you, Eric. As we've discussed on previous calls, a priority for our content business over the last few years has been rebuilding our creative pipeline to align with an industry shift towards global deals for premium content. Our Apple TV Plus partnership on Peanuts is a perfect example. The growth we've seen in our content business over the past two quarters reflects this dynamic, as bigger projects, such as the Peanuts content from the first Apple deal, ramped up to full run rate. This has also been a creative magnet unlike any our company has ever seen. The prospect of working on an iconic animation property like Peanuts attracts top talent to our studio, thereby establishing a virtuous cycle, which will reignite other key IP from our vast portfolio of famous brands. As Eric noted, this is just Peanuts. As we look across the rest of our portfolio and continue to activate the significant IP we have, we expect to layer on more and more large deals to meet the rising demand for premium content. These deals often incorporate library titles. We saw this with the Apple deal, and similarly, when Netflix recently ordered a new original Johnny Test series, they also licensed worldwide rights to the show's full back catalog. So not only are we reigniting key IP through premium original productions, we are often also able to license our library content to the same platforms thereby driving overall deal value, larger overall deal value. To better reflect these shifts, we've decided as of this quarter to combine reporting of production and distribution into one revenue line in our financial results. This consolidation reflects industry trends that we're seeing. It's how we're managing our IP and it reflects the consolidated nature of the transactions we're entering into with global SWADs and other distribution channels. This is also in line with the integrated management of our business and reflects industry practice. Premium content deals are the way forward for Wildbrain. They are triggering, they are a trigger for reactivating IP in our 360 degree strategy. As you have seen over the last year or so, while we are making fewer content announcements than we have in the past, the announcements we do make are highly meaningful to our production, distribution, and consumer products businesses and to growing our earnings base. With that, I'll hand the call back to Eric. Thanks, Josh. Um, turning now to our AVOD business, Wildbrain Spark continues to have one of the largest and most engaged global audiences in the kids and family space. With 62.4 billion minutes of videos watched this quarter, uh, which is up 14% versus Q1 2020. The duration of use is also increasing which is a key attribute for monetization. On average, the duration of views on Spark are 15% longer than the average on YouTube in the kid genre. Each view on our platform averaged six minutes in Q1, up 27% from Q1 2020. While COVID-19 and changes on YouTube have negatively impacted advertising sales in the short term, we're encouraged by sequential growth in revenue for Q1 which is up 37% compared to Q4. In fact, we've seen improvement every month, starting with July and continuing into October. 
Overall, the trends we highlighted last quarter have continued, and there are positive indicators across the advertising industry. The digital advertising market started to pick up in Q1, particularly as COVID lockdowns eased and we came out of the summer and started the run-up to Christmas. In September, we saw encouraging uplift in advertising demand, which is leading to gradual improvements in advertising rates. On direct ad sales, we have been investing in building out our market presence, particularly in the U.S., with plans to build further. This has led to ad campaigns being sold and run on both sides of the Atlantic. Our premium brand-safe content at global scale with proprietary content solutions and data-led planning is resonating very well with ad buyers. Uh, Finally, as you know, in Q4 last fiscal, we secured a $25 million growth fund in, uh, uh, to fund strategic creative, uh, excuse me, creative transactions across the company with a special focus on our AVOD business. By way of an update, I can tell you that we've now earmarked substantially all of the initial funds for deals and investments that are currently under negotiation, and we anticipate closing many of these transactions in the coming quarters. And uh, with that, I'll hand the call over to Aaron. Thank you, Eric. During Q1, we continued to execute on our disciplined approach to content investments while managing working capital and controlling our costs. We also paid down $5 million on a revolving credit facility in the first quarter and the outstanding balance of $5 million in October, subsequent to quarter end. While we expect our total net leverage ratio to increase moderately in Q2 2021 due to timing, Based on our current expectations of how the pandemic will play out, coupled with the enhanced visibility we now have around our revenue, earnings, and content pipeline over the next 18-plus months, we expect our total net leverage ratio to be comfortably in the mid-four level or below by the end of fiscal 22. As Josh mentioned, we have and will continue locking in a content pipeline with premium projects that give us great visibility into future revenue and earnings. It's important to also understand, however, that it takes time for this book business to appear in our results. For example, the expanded Apple deal will begin contributing to our EBITDA in fiscal 2022 uh, uh, when these new projects ramp up. Revenue from these shows are recognized on a percentage of completion basis over the life of the production. One other thing I wanted to highlight with respect to the Apple TV Plus agreement is that the library deal for the classic Peanuts content was signed after quarter end, so this will be recognized in our second quarter results. To better reflect the characteristics of these premium deals and align with how we are monetizing our content, we have reclassified the financial reporting of our revenues as follows. For reporting purposes, our content business segment now comprises the following three revenue lines. First, production and distribution. Second, consumer products, including Wildbrain CPLG, Third, Wildbrain Spark. Our Canadian linear TV business has been renamed Canadian Television Broadcasting and continues to be reported separately. Turning now to our Q1 results. Revenue in Q1 was $95.5 million compared with $112.3 million in Q1 last year. The decrease is primarily attributable to pressures on global advertising due to COVID-19 and policy changes on YouTube for -for made-for-kids content at Wildbrain Spark partially offset by stability in our other businesses. However, as noted by Eric, we are encouraged by the sequential revenue growth of Wild Brain Sparks revenue for Q1, 
which is up 37% compared to Q4. Q4 excuse me. In the quarter, we reported a net loss of $3.3 million versus a net loss of $16 million last year. This improvement was attributable to lower SG&A, lower reorganization development costs, and a higher non-cash foreign exchange gain in Q1 2021 compared to Q1 2020. We recorded positive operating cash flow in Q1 of $19.6 million compared to $29.9 million in Q1 2020 due to the timing of settlement of working capital balances. Free cash flow for Q1 2021 was negative $2.7 million compared to positive free cash flow of $7.7 million in Q1 2020. This decrease was partly due to the timing of distributions to non-controlling interest in the current quarter as compared to no distributions in the prior, in the prior year quarter. Adjusted EBITDA was $17.5 million in Q1 2021 compared with $19.6 million in Q1 2020, principally related to the short-term weakness in advertising revenues noted above. Now I'll turn the call back to Eric. Thank you, Aaron. So in sum, we continue to execute against our long-term strategies of one, creating premium kids' content to grow key brands, two, monetizing our large audience on our AVOD network, Wildbrain Spark, and three, improving our cash flow and balance sheet. And uh, although there is still a lot of uncertainty out there, uh, our business is demonstrating resilience as families take comfort in our entertainment content and brands. We're lining up more deals, which will layer onto our current earnings base, so please stay tuned. And now we'd welcome some questions. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question over the phone lines, I please press a star, then one on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from line of Deepak Kashel of Stiefel. Your line is open. Oh, hi, thanks guys. Uh, good morning and thanks for taking my question. Um, uh, Eric, Josh, I wanted to ask you a bit more about the Apple deal. Um, if you can kind of parse out the impacts on your production capacity and your balance sheet, particularly on the production side, will this require an increase in production capacity or is this backfilling some declines in other areas and that capacity the same? And on the balance sheet side, what would be the impact to working capital and, and free cash flow over the next uh, 12 to 18 months on this? Thanks. Sure thing. Uh, thank you, Deepak. And uh, I'll certainly ask um, both uh, Aaron and Josh to uh, chime in on the, uh, on the you know, multiple parts of your question. Um, first, uh, maybe I can describe the, uh, a little bit about the magnitude of the Apple deal before we get into the uh, production capacity issue. Um, and you know, certainly I wish I could tell you uh, more details of the transaction, but uh, I know you'll appreciate that we're subject to a non-disclosure and, uh, and telling you what we can. Uh, one of the things I can highlight, by the way, is that on the library deal alone, uh, in Q2, we're going to recognize net revenue that's over 60% more than the, um, the last publicly reported transaction, which I believe was by ICON. There has been an unexpected disconnection by that speaker. One moment, please. 
um, at this point, I mean, Josh. Hey, so, yeah, why don't I jump in and, and pick yeah. up on the capacity question? I'm happy to do that, Deepak. Um, so we we've certainly been ramping up in the studio over over the past year, um, and um, you know we're we're now we're now at essentially the highest rate of capacity in Vancouver that we've uh, that we've ever been, um, and and we expect to be able to carry on uh, at this rate for for the foreseeable future. This new um, Apple deal will add new productions over time, uh, and we will find ways to to expand uh, to make sure that we can accommodate and and ensure that we've we can continue on executing on the highest quality that we have been, which is, which is really what's led to this second Apple deal is, is how happy they've been with what we've uh, delivered to date. And, and as far as uh, balance sheet and cash flow, uh, this, this deal is a very big positive for us on cash flow uh, and, uh, and the balance sheet. As you know, we recognize these types of deals on, on percentage of completion, and we earn the revenue as we produce the show. And so um, for both balance sheets, uh, you know, there'll be the typical production financing arrangements, which are in place, uh, but, but our earnings will be very positively impacted by this as well as our uh, cash flow. Okay. And so just to be clear, um, in terms of the, the lag between revenue recognition and cash flow, the interim production financing will, will, will close that gap, or is there going to be a certain big percentage coming from tax credits, et cetera, as, as per the past I mean, there, there is a portion coming from tax credits, but because we recognize and, and get paid over the term, it's a big positive to cash flow. We earn our producer fees and overheads and uh, dur during the course of production. And so this is a big positive to us. Okay. Okay. Thanks for taking my question. Operator, do you want to introduce the uh, next caller? Yes, your next, call, your next question comes from line of Tim Tacey of BMO. Your line is open. Yeah, a couple for, or three for me. Um, uh, I was wondering if, uh, hopefully Eric's back on the call. He was talking about represent, um, reporting a big jump in, uh, in revenues in Q2. Maybe if you could just finish that thought. And then yeah, two for me. Yeah, back with um, you, Tim. Apologies. Great. Uh, no problem. Um, uh, my, my two questions would be, uh, I guess for Aaron, should we think about the uh, profitability of this, of the Apple arrangement as being consistent, or will the various series and various special projects carry varying levels of profitability? Just how, how should we think about that over the course of the, of the, the, the projects? And um, on Wild Brain Spark, um, uh, I appreciate that, you know, the sequential, uh, there's been some sequential gains in the revenue profile, but maybe if you could um, talk prospectively going forward for the rest of maybe this fiscal, how you think um, the, the trend lines um, that you're going to report in that business uh, in the face of expanded viewership, but, uh, you know, a, a, an uneven ad market, how should we think about the revenue profile there? Thanks. Um, thanks, thanks, Tim. And um, again, sorry to uh, our participants today for the disconnect. Thank you, technology. Um, so um, let me uh, share this question with Aaron and uh, first go back to uh, your first question, uh, which was uh, about the, uh, the increase that we will be enjoying in, um, in Q2 
uh, with the recognition of, uh, of net revenue. As you know, uh, just in it, uh, you know, accounting policy, we'll be aggregating the uh, entire value of that uh, of that license uh, in uh, Q2, which is a multi-year license. Um, what we can say, though, is that uh, it's going to be on the order of 60% more than what was uh, last publicly reported uh, in the transaction between Iconics and ABC Television uh, in uh, 2014. Um, that's, uh, that's a matter of, uh, of public record, and uh, uh, that's why we can share that uh, with you today. Um, as to the uh, sort of specifics around uh, margin and profitability of the various content that we're producing, uh, let me have uh, Aaron and Josh address that particular question uh, at, uh, at what's happening at our studio and what it means for our company. Yeah, so I'll, I'll touch on first, Tim, uh, your question on the production revenue. Yeah, so um, this deal is, it would be uh, similar to the con continuation of the types of projects we've been working on with Apple TV Plus already. So we expect a similar profile with respect to the margin and, uh, and revenue. Um, so that's, that's uh, your first question. Um, your, uh, your other question on Spark uh, I mean, we, we expect to continue to see a pretty significant improvement, um, sequential improvement quarter over quarter in this quarter. This, this quarter is, is a bigger quarter because it is the Christmas season. And so, uh, so we'll, we will get benefit for that. But, but as we continue to get out there on direct ad sales, where, which um, I know we've, we've uh, been discussing over the last, uh, last quarter, that we are making an investment in our direct ad sales, that also will help us continue to monetize against uh, Spark and continue to see pretty significant improvement, uh, sequ sequential improvement. Thanks for that, um, Eric. Can you can you spare us all the effort of uh, googling uh, October 2014 in Iconics? What what was the number they reported? Uh, yeah, I can share that with you. Um, they reported um, uh, 17 uh, million. Um, we Googled it. That's how we found out. <laughs> so, okay. so, so we're we're looking at something a little north of 25 million on the revenue line in Q2. Uh, that would be the math. Thank you. Uh, but by, by the way, uh, Tim, I'll just modify that by saying that's U.S. dollars, not uh, not Canadian. Uh, um, Eric, that that uh, for us, that, that's Canadian. So. Uh, no, but the Iconics deal was uh, was U.S. dollars. That's right. The Iconics deal is U.S. dollars, yes. Your net, sorry, if you'd like, again, if you'd like to ask a question over the phone lines, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Drew McReynolds of RBC. Your line is open. Thanks very much. Good morning. Two for me. Uh, maybe for you, Eric, on the IP front, um, you know, we, we saw with Entertainment One, for example, with Peppa Pig, you know, which I kind of view in the same category as uh, as Peanuts, um, just hit, hit it out of the park. And it, it looks like you're gaining kind of equal success here with, with Peanuts. But, uh, you know, then they took a couple of their other pieces of IP and over a two or three, four year period really 
built those up. Um, what, wondering from your perspective, when you kind of look into your existing IP versus, you know, what is in development or maybe what you acquire, um, you know, where does, where, where does that stand? In other words, you know, have you identified, you know, the, the piece of IP that could kind of hit these same levels, you know, that you're doing with, uh, with peanuts currently? Great. Uh, thank you, uh, Drew. Um, so uh, first, uh, I appreciate the comparison to Pe Peppa Pig, uh, but uh, I also wonder if we'll know about uh, Peppa 70 years hence. Um, you know, Peanuts is, uh, is frankly a bit of a unicorn uh, in, the, uh, in the character uh, business. Uh, I mean, an incredible legacy, uh, sort of sustained uh, content production, which paused many years ago. And, uh, you know, we're now accelerating to uh, a brand new level um, and uh, always has had a, uh, a remarkable uh, consumer products business on a, on a global basis. So uh, I think in some ways uh, it, um, it defies comparison. Um, and, you know, I can't say that uh, we're going to be, uh, you know, achieving legendary iconic status uh, with the balance of the IP portfolio, but that does not mean it isn't incredibly robust. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're specifically uh, concentrating now on, you know, a, a set of brands, for example, uh, Strawberry Shortcake which also has a great operating history and, uh, and legacy, uh, both in media production and uh, consumer product sales. And I think that that's going to be uh, one, of the, one of the franchises coming forward. Uh, we've been surprised, which I think I may have highlighted uh, in our last call, by the uh, you know, incredible success uh, on Netflix of uh, Chip and Potato, where a new season has been ordered and we see uh, you know, great consumer products potential uh, around that uh, franchise. Uh, we're reactivating on uh, Teletubbies right now. Uh, you know, we are in development on uh, Inspector Gadget. Uh, I think, you know, we uh, announced a development project around Green Hornet uh, and acquired property uh, as opposed to one that resides in our library. So, um, you know, I, I'm loath to sort of predict levels of success uh, and, and try and compare them uh, against uh, peanuts. Uh, what I do know is that uh, the content pipeline has been, you know, we have a lot of visibility on it right now. Uh, and uh, I'm, you know, incredibly encouraged by what we're doing uh, on the uh, creative development side and how we're going to be rolling these properties out, uh, you know, very carefully. Um, in order to uh, kind of achieve, you know, a evergreen status that uh, that peanuts enjoys. So I, I'm I'm happy to take a follow up on that, but that that's generally how I would characterize it. Now that 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 list is is helpful, and uh, no, that's that's good context. Thank you. Uh, just a follow up, maybe for uh, Aaron on the balance sheet target that you, you put out there. Can you just thematically talk about EBITDA growth versus free cash flow generation in arriving at that target. Thank you. Yeah, sure. 
Um, happy to. So that the um, look we, we, because of this deal and the, the other deals that we have been working on, uh, we have very good visibility on how um, on how the the next sort of eight quarters looks, and therefore from a baseline perspective, we feel comfortable with the. Uh, you know, with that with that target that we were giving for the end of our fiscal 22. Um, of course, you know, there's there are other things that we're working on that we expect to to further improve it. But this is what we have specifically uh, visibility into. Um, as far as cash flow, I think our cash flow profile will be will be improved as well, um, given that these types of deals, including the peanuts deal, as I had mentioned before are positive to us from a cash flow perspective and a balance sheet perspective. Okay, so so it's kind of a com- combination of both free cash flow and EBITDA growth to, to kind of square you up uh, on that? Yes, and, and again, that doesn't really include other things that we're working on. I mean, I don't know how, you know, uh, you know how the direct ad sales, how much of an improvement it will be. We're investing in it. Uh, it's a big focus of ours. Could do quite a bit better than you know, than what's currently in our, our baseline model. Great. Understood. Thank you. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question over the phone lines, please press star, then one on your telephone keypad. Your next question comes from the line of Jess, Jeff Fan of Scotiabank. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning, and thanks for taking my question. Um, just a couple. Uh, first, um, Eric, I think you talked about Spark advertising rates improving. Uh, wondering if you can elaborate on that a little bit, and maybe also give us a little bit of a an update on how direct sales is doing, um, and if there's anything to share regarding direct CPM versus some of your prior CPMs pre the YouTube policy change, um, and maybe even talk about. Uh, what percentage of your views, because your views still growing very strongly. Just wondering what percentage of your views that you think you can monetize through the direct method. Um, and the second question is um, related to your comment about the growth fund, um, your mark for investments. Wondering if you can just elaborate a little bit on the nature of some of these investments that we expect to see. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Thanks, Jeff, uh, for your question. Um, so uh, let me kind of give an overview of, uh, you know, the shape of the recovery. Um, so uh, first, uh, for those of you who've been focused on this, uh, you'll know that uh, in the period um, between the Made for Kids policy change at YouTube and the uh, COVID impacts, and that was from like uh, early January through middle of March, we saw ad rates beginning to recover significantly as advertisers um, adjusted their spend. Uh, the migration, frankly, between linear and uh, digital, uh, our you know rapidly, vastly increasing audience during the COVID period, which has leveled out um, to uh, more normal levels, and how the YouTube uh, ecosystem and algorithms were adjusted. Uh, to the uh, MFK changes. So um, again, when when COVID hit, we saw a big uplift in viewing, uh, but also a contraction in ad spend. Uh, but um, you know, the, 
it's really a factor of the digital ad commitments being the easiest to pull, uh, but they also come back when consumer and advertising sentiment shifts. So um, since July, uh, we've been seeing a couple of things, uh, really a reversal in two ways. One, uh, improving uh, CPMs or advertising rates, and that really has a lot to do with that algorithm uh, adjustment at YouTube, which I referenced. Um, and also, uh, we were, were enjoying new optimization trials for ad placement that we're doing on our networks, and those are also contributing to results and also just seeing more ad placements. Um, so, um, you know, in a more general way, and, and this is really a more macroeconomic factor, uh, you know, market sentiment is that a lot of the budgets that were pulled, uh, you know, like travel and so forth, have been uh, reprioritized in the second half to uh, entertainment and, uh, and toys. And we're seeing a pickup as well in those, uh, in those categories in the run-up to the holidays. So um, the ad dollars are flowing back. That's the good news. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I can, you know, more, more generally say is that the, uh, the nature of ad placement on YouTube has changed uh, meaningfully with uh, Made for Kids. Uh, since targeting is no longer taking place, uh, it really emphasizes the contextual sale and also selling uh, directly uh, by our own ad sales force, which is one of the things that you asked about. Uh, and, uh, and that effort is, uh, is going, uh, you know, pretty well. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, we're getting good visibility there. Uh, just in terms of the recovery of the market and, you know, presuming this uh, trajectory and uh, the, you know, compounded increases, uh, I'd say we're pretty optimistic. Uh, and, you know, the uh, audience continues to grow, watch time grows, um, and while I can't give you a precise number, uh, you know, we will be the, you know, full beneficiary of, uh, of those changes, in particular with our data tools and uh, direct ad sales and campaigns that we're doing. We've launched a number of, of very successful digital first campaigns for toy companies. Um, and, uh, you know, we're sort of the leading edge of the change in market perception around uh, where advertising is effective. Um, uh, was there a second part of the question? Allow me to address that as well. Yeah, the other part, I think you've addressed sort of addressed it, but it was really as you go to the more direct sales uh, route, wondering if uh, if you think you can monetize through the direct channel um, all of the same views that you were monetizing before under a more, um, I guess, uh, under under YouTube's algo? So I, I, I actually think we'll be able to uh, monetize much more effectively because uh, in the you know auction process, which was you know what we relied on previously before the MFK changes and launch of our own direct sales uh, organization, uh, we were kind of at the mercy of you know what came in and uh, you know the varying CPMs, uh, and we couldn't offer really a bespoke program to uh, advertisers, consumer product companies, etc. Uh, one of the other things that we're, we're seeing and, you know, and benefiting by uh, considerably uh, is, uh, you know, believe it or not, the, the advent of smart TVs and 
you know, penetration of those devices in the market. Um, uh, you know, I'm sure when you turn on your own smart TV, you'll see, you know, the, the dozen tiles come up of Netflix and Apple TV Plus and HBO Max. And one of those is YouTube. And so what's happening is the views are migrating from, uh, you know, iPads and, um, and uh, other display devices onto the big screen. And what that's meant is co-viewing in almost every case. And that opens up, you know, the tremendous market of, um, of you know, parent and caregiver uh, demographics uh, and consumer products. Um, so that's, that, that's really, you know, one of the things that I think we're going to uh, benefit by. And the advertisers, uh, you know, are choosing to go direct. Uh, they want to, uh, you know, get in front of our content specifically, which is curated and safe. They are very sensitive to, uh, you know, uh, content and audience and, uh, and the curation factor. Uh, they want to know whether ads are placed, and that really is drawing premium rates which is getting uh, to this targeted uh, audience. So we're going to direct and we're tapping into that uh, branded ad market. Thanks, Eric. Um, and the other question was just about the growth fund, and if you can just elaborate oh, yes. a little bit on the profile. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, in the, uh, the growth fund, um, you know, I think when uh, we originally talked about this, uh, we indicated that it would be for these, uh, you know, accretive investments. Uh, and the, um, I, I should uh, just at the, at the risk of redundancy uh, remind uh, everybody that the financing structure has no impact whatsoever on our, our leverage ratio. Um, so, uh, you know, the current environment has offered us a lot of uh, opportunities uh, for IP investment. Um, and um, really to use our operating leverage to exploit uh, that IP across various business areas. Um, so uh, a lot of the money we're using is an accelerator uh, on, um, on Wild Brain Spark. And, um, uh, you know, as I noted in my initial comments, we really earmarked substantially all the initial funds um, and, uh, and have, um, you know, transactions now under uh, – negotiation and closing. Um, and so those really have focused on perfection of our rights ownership, uh, not only in our existing catalog, but, you know, we have a lot of partnership deals uh, at uh, a Wild Brain Spark, and uh, we've used that for the benefit of those partnerships. Uh, so, uh, again, I can't speak to the specific negotiations and, uh, and deals, but you know, sort of in the same way as I've indicated on past calls, please watch the space. Uh, you know, and we will be, um, you know, as we can, uh, disclosing uh, some of those transactions. Great. Thank you, Eric. There are no further questions over the phone lines at this time. I turn the call back over to Nancy Chen Palmatier. Thank you, Operator, and uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, today. And uh, stay well. We look forward to uh, updating you on more exciting news in the uh, next quarter. Thank you. Have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website.
See you next time.